what's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you from West Texas, where I'm traveling on site for a client delivering the results of an employee engagement survey. And by the way, it's very windy out here in the Texas panhandle. So if you hear a lot of rocking and rolling, it's the wind outside. If you don't know me, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. You can learn more about me and how we can work together at EliseCortez.com or Gusto-Now.com. Let me thank my partner and sponsor, Work Proud. We are a perfect collaboration. Everyone wants to know they matter and that the work they do is meaningful and appreciated. WorkProud is a mobile platform built to encourage employees to share stories and recognize each other's contribution. WorkProud empowers HR and business leaders to create company cultures where all employees are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. Learn more at WorkProud.com. With us today is Marco Bogers. He's an author, coach, trainer, and organizational consultant. Originally a business law graduate, his career spanned sales, marketing, productivity training, organizational, and purpose coaching. What has helped him in these transformations is to see tensions as fuel and as life-handed to material for his writing. He is the co-author of the Dutch best-selling Get, Getting Teams Done, which in 2020 was translated into English as Getting Started with Holacracy, Upgrading Your Team's Productivity, which is what we'll be talking about today. He joins us today from Amsterdam, the Netherlands, where it is currently midnight for him and 5 p.m. for me. Marco, welcome to Working on Purpose and staying up for the conversation. Yeah, thank you, and thanks for the invitation. Yeah. You're so welcome. And, you know, we found each other because we were in a common community talking about purpose and weighing in on the topic, mm-hmm. and that's how I found you. And when I looked at your profile on LinkedIn, I said, I think we should have a talk. I don't know what holacracy is. So let's start with that, if we can, Marco. What is holacracy? And let me spell that for our listeners who doesn't, who've never heard this term. Either, either it's H-O-L-A-C-R-A-C-Y, holacracy. What is it, Marco? Yeah, it's uh, a good question. I, I, I needed to write a book about it to answer that question. So it, it's not like, you know, it's not like one answer. Um, you could look at it several ways. You could look at it as an organizational model. Um, you could look at it as a way to become more productive. Actually, one perspective that I take lately is that it's a way to organize around purpose. And, and uh, also, you know, uh, linking to the theme of your, uh, of your um, program. Um, and, and I think that's really for me the core at the moment. If you want to organize around purpose, uh, holacracy is really one of the best ways I have found so far. So one of the things that you say in your book, and correct me if I'm wrong, because as you know, I read cover to cover and I take copious notes. Mm-hmm. But what I thought you had said, too, is that it's really a cross between the concept of getting things done and agile. Is that right? Yeah, there's also a way to, to look at it. Um, um, actually, uh, it's, it's, um, it was inspired amongst others by agile and getting things done. Uh, so there's a lot of comparison between those systems if you look at uh, holacracy. 
And um, actually, another way to look at it is to say it's uh, agile organization. So it's, if you look at an organization structure, which normally that's, that's fixed, actually holacracy makes that agile. So that means those are becoming moving parts and it's becoming really dynamic. Hmm. That is so alluring. And of course, you know, I have to ask you, how in the world did you come across this concept in the first place? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good question, actually. So um, I, I've done a lot of things in my career. And, um, and uh, one of the things that I, uh, I started after um, going from the corporate, corporate side to, to become an um, uh, independent, I started to be a productivity trainer. And that was about 10 years ago. And I was very inspired by uh, David Allen getting things done. So I started teaching his methodology to teams in companies. Uh, and actually, I soon found out that uh, there was a lot of things beneath personal productivity that I couldn't touch uh, by, uh, I mean, uh, getting things on works very, very well if you do it just personally. But if you do it in a team, there's always a lot of things that are around that. Like one of the questions I had was, why do people individually can become very productive, but as a team, they're actually less productive than they're working individually? And, and that was a question I just couldn't answer. And that kept pondering me for, for, for some time. And then I ran into holacracy, and then it was like, wow, this is actually what I'm looking for, uh, getting things done, but then uh, for teams. So that's also what was the, what the title of our book, Getting Teams Done. Mm-hmm. Mm, how yummy. Well, I was very, very intrigued by the whole notion, as again, I've never seen this concept before. And one of the things that you say in the book, and I quote, in essence, holacracy is a way of running a team or even an entire organization in an agile and dynamic way so that you can speed up on all fronts. Can you say more about that? I think anyone wants to know more about that. Yeah. Um yeah, where is the speed? And where do you speed up? That's the, that's the central thing. What I see from my experience as a manager in, an, in a corporate organization is where uh, things, um, uh, how to say, are stuck is actually in decision making. Especially if you're a manager, uh, you get a lot of, uh, in, in, a, in a management hierarchy, uh, you, you, you get a lot of decisions. I mean, uh, practically, it means uh, a lot of emails to answer. I, um, when I was a manager, I saw that I quickly became the bottleneck. <laughs> so because, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I have all these decisions to make. And what, where holacracy speeds up actually is decision making. So that means that uh, decision making is being distributed to roles. So uh, it's not only one person who is actually the end decision making. Actually all the roles in holacracy and people get roles, that's one of the constructs uh, in holacracy, they are the end responsibility. They have the end responsibility. Actually, that's where the buck stops. So um, people in roles, the roles have the end responsibility for decision making. So that means that it's not, it's not going all to one person. Mm. So uh, one of the things I thought about as I was reading that part is I and I really appreciated how you situated your whole 
uh, offering about how to teach us about holacracy through the case study method, the story that you told us in the story mm-hmm. or in your book. Brilliant. It was so accessible. So learning about Neil okay. and, you know, how he was dealing with Rakesh and, and you know, poor Rakesh is, is coming at this from the old school way of, you know, command and control, et cetera. So for people like that, I'm sure this is entirely frightening, right? And and I, I one of the things that I found really interesting, which I will, I'll get to what kinds of organizations are, are, are best suited for this in just a second. But one of the things that I found really, really interesting is there are so many things that you do in your book that are kind of upside down from the way people normally think about things, like this notion of tension. So you say um, everything starts in holacracy with tension. You say things are not going the way you want them to. With holacracy, you can use this tension as fuel for moving forward and making things better. It helps you create extreme clarity within your team. I think most people would say, what? You're kidding me. You want to go look for tension? So say more about this magical juice of engine or, or of tension, please. Yeah. yeah, that's really the core of, uh, of how to say the system. And, um, and, it, and, and it's really about redefining what tension actually means to you. Uh, actually, I started off seeing tensions as something to be avoided, something I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to. Uh, and um, let me give you an example. When I worked, uh, I worked for a Japanese company, and there uh, you shouldn't rock the boat. You shouldn't, like, create any tensions. Everybody should work in a kind of consensus mode and um, what happened to me is that I, I got all the tensions within myself and actually I got ill after that. So what Holacracy does is actually turn that around. You say tensions is something to be embraced. Tensions is not something to be uh, hidden or avoided and, um, and actually I have found that quite liberating uh, to work in. Mm. Another thing that I want to make sure that we press for our viewers and our listeners, Marco, around this notion of tension that I think is extremely useful that I got from your book, and I think it just might be your unique way of navigating the world. But what, what, it see, what it occurs for me is that you put forth this notion of tension, and you are essentially telling us readers through the story that we can become better, we can become even more sensitive about understanding the tensions, recognizing them, giving voice to them, articulating them. And that's part of the, that's part of the power of the individual person. Is that right? Yeah, actually, uh, uh, the core, one of the core skills in Holacracy is recognizing tensions within yourself. And, um, but also acting on them. And um, let me say a short definition of tension as we use is something, the difference between how things are and how things should be. And you see there's always this tension between those two points. Um, And actually recognizing that and seeing that as as something to, as an opportunity instead of something to be avoided. Now, what I've learned during the process is to really um, recognize those tensions much more fast in myself and actually act on that or actually ask help or or actually process those tensions. And actually every every practice within Holacracy is designed to process tensions very quickly. Like we have uh, tactical meetings, Mm -hmm. we have governance meetings, 
and, and in those meetings, we actually list tensions. We also name them tensions. So, so the word tension is actually uh, very well uh, used and defined within the practice. Mm. So I, I want to I really want to call out this idea, Marco, because as you say, it's so central to holacracy. And again, it turns everything on the head of how people would normally think about the word tension and certainly to be able to talk about it and to get present to it and try to um, process it, if you will. Um, and so what I think is so great about that, especially in the time when we spent a year in the pandemic and people recognize and are riveted on the notion of well-being and, and mental mental health, to be able to recognize that space or that difference between where we are today and where we want to be in the future, which produces this dynamic uh, sentiment that we, we can all presence, I think is so profoundly useful. And again, refreshing, something that I don't think very many organizations are talking about. Mm, mm. Yeah, actually, um, uh, I, 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 of course, very much agree on that. And I think, for instance, you could see the current situation with COVID. It's, it's a big tension uh, um, because uh, it's, it's something where we have the situation as it is now and then the situation as it could be there, there is still oftentimes a big gap. And so reflecting on that actually brings you out in a, moves you from a, um, how to say, more of a victim stance to a creator stance. Um, like, you know, mm. okay, so I have this tension. So the central question that we, we use in the holocracy practice is then, so, okay, sounds like attention. If somebody doesn't recognize itself, sounds like attention. So what do you need? And then asking people, what do you need, actually brings them from this victim-like stance to to a creator stance, to, 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 to actually taking, um, taking action on that. So, so the question, what you need, is actually pivotal in the practice. And if you are around mm. holocracy practitioners, uh, you will hear that question a lot. It, it's actually very much an operational uh, practice to ask that question to yourself, but also to others. Mm, I like it, Marco. I like it. Um, okay, well, now let's talk about <laughs> what kind of organizations would be best suited to use holacracy? Who is well suited to use and embrace this concept? Yeah, I would say in, in the start, I'd say like, you know, you know, theoretically, any organization can do it. But in practice, I see that uh, where it thrives, where it thrives, are op op uh, organizations that really want to invest in personal development of people and are purpose-driven. And I think purpose-driven and holacracy, purpose-driven companies and holacracy are, are actually a, a match made in heaven, I think, uh, because um, um, in holacracy there's no uh, hierarchy of people. There's a hierarchy of purpose and you serve the purpose. You don't serve the people, you serve the purpose. But by serving the purpose, you serve the people better. <laughs> and that's one of the many paradoxes that uh, holacracy has. Like not, not by not putting the people central, you serve them better because purpose is central. Uh, uh, mm, are you sounds like music to my ears. 
I am so with you on that. And you know I'm with you on that. Sounds like music in my ears and a great way to go into our first break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Marco Bogers, a co-author of Getting Started with Holacracy, Upgrading Your Team's Productivity. We've been talking a bit about what this concept is, who uses it. After the break, we're going to get into the elements of it and how to implement it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. As I've watched the pandemic continue on, we looked for ways to help companies support their employees handle this anxiety, stress, depression, and feeling disconnected while also helping to lift and inspire them with ongoing organizational development. So we now offer a well-being webinar learning series called Grab Your Gusto, Vital Well-Being from the Inside Out. If you want to learn more about it, go to the website elisecortez.com or send me an email to elise at elisecortez.com. If you're just joining the program, my guest is Marco Bogers, an author, coach, trainer, and organizational consultant. Over the last years, his blessing as part of his personal purpose became clear to ignite the healing fire of those who are called to lead through uncharted territory. He joins us today from Amsterdam, the Netherlands. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Okay, so Marco, the next bit here, I wanted to get into really going under the hood, if you will, of the car of, of, of holacracy and, and talk about us, another central aspect of what I can see of this, and that's roles, the focus of roles. So one of the things you say in your book, and I quote, in holacracy, direction and leadership are distributed so that everyone is a leader within his or her roles. So just one manager doesn't make all the decisions and provide direction. Roles are not designed by management or HR, but instead created and continuously adjusted by the team itself. Sounds incredible. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and at the same time, I cannot imagine otherwise. <laughs> if you're in it, it's like, it's like, it's like very, yeah, like it's swimming in, 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 the, in, yeah, like a fish swimming in the water of the sea, you know, it's, it's, it's just um, it's just as it is. Uh, let me tell you something about how this works, these roles. So why roles? Why not functions? Because functions are the normal way that companies uh, organize. Now, roles are much more flexible. Uh, roles, like for instance, one person can have several roles and, uh, sev- uh, and there's uh, uh, one role can be done by several persons. So you can see, you can, you, can, you can be much more flexible in how you allocate work in that. A function is set. Um, the other disadvantage of a function is that uh, it, it is not always current with some, what the work that somebody is actually doing. Like you are hired like two years ago, chances are that the work that you're doing is very different than what you were hired for. And normally, uh, functions don't update uh, so often. Now, roles update on a weekly basis, <laughs> if necessary. Um, and there's, um, 
And there's a very distinct mechanism for that, and those are uh, governance meetings. Governance meetings are, are meetings that are held when there are changes to roles necessary, and um, bigger changes to roles necessary. And employees do that amongst themselves. So there's no, there's no HR function, there's no manager who decides that. The, the employees themselves update their roles if necessary. And that can be weekly, that can be monthly. Uh, more um, common is that there is a monthly update. Hmm. Well, now let's then distinguish roles and the circle, which is, again, another really fascinating concept. Yeah. And, and you talk about, uh, you say that it's made up of roles, which we just talked about. What, so what work needs to be done? not people and comprised in a circle and in a circle the focus is not on the people but rather on the work that they do and the roles they fill those roles are determined by the circle itself in regular governance meetings as you were saying so tell us more about the circle what is this role of the circle yeah well actually a circle is nothing else than a bigger role a circle is actually uh, a, a collection of roles so, uh, actually, visually, you can see a role expanding to a circle. So, if a role gets too much work, for instance, I, I have a role. I have a role, and we're in a five-person company, and I am the marketing role. And then we grow into a 20-person company. Then probably my, the thing that I did myself, my marketing role, will expand into a marketing circle. Like, I, I, I get, like, five colleagues who join me doing marketing. So a circle is nothing else than an expanded role. And mm. you, you can actually see the organization, and it's really fun to see. There's, there's, a, there's a, an online tool which you can see the, the organization actually growing. Uh, it's, it's like an organism. So it's not, it's not a fixed thing. It's not a fixed kind of chart. It's, you can see it online growing. It's, 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 it's alive. Mm -hmm. I'm smiling because I've had another guest on my show, Dr. Norm, uh, Norman, um, and um, he and I talked about his book called The Living Organization. It's the same, a similar, ah, okay. he talks about the organization living as well, but not nearly, we're not talking about holacracy like you are, but the same idea that it's actually living and you can actually see it breathing and growing and when it's yeah. growing and and. and it being fulfilled versus decaying. So that's why I was smiling. And, and, and ladies and gentlemen, those of you that are sitting back going, yeah, this concept sounds really, really good for Marco in the Netherlands and the, Nor the Northern Europeans. What I want you to know is this concept is taking across all over the world. In fact, even here in the United States, I have a friend of mine who is an RF engineer and he, on his board, he talks about his, his daily stand-up meeting. And when I came to your part of the book, Marco, that talks about the stand-up meeting, I reached out to him and I said, hold on just a second, that stand-up meeting thing that you're doing, are you guys doing holacracy over there? And he said, yes, that is becoming more and more of a thing inside organizations and including the United States. So listeners, if you're thinking to yourself, oh, that's great for those guys over there, but it wouldn't work here in the States, keep listening. Well, actually, actually, <laughs> um, all right, so holacracy originated in the United States. There are some roots in the Netherlands. Of sociocracy, but uh, Brian Robertson, you know, an American, actually invented holacracy. That's right. I did read that in your book. That's right. I think for yeah. a lot of listeners, I think they're they're thinking to themselves, "Hmm, this sounds crazy." But keep listening. There's some amazing things. In fact, even let's talk about conflict next. 
one of the things that I think is really important, and right, every, every organization uh, uh, certainly has a share of conflict, and you write, the vast majority of conflicts at work are in fact role conflicts, and that you get clarity through roles by defining exactly what activi- activities a role is accountable for, and it relies on distributed authority rather than traditional management hierarchy. So say more about how holacracy addresses and maybe alleviates conflict. Yeah, actually, you know, uh, uh, holacracy promotes conflict. <laughs> and that's one of these. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it okay. promotes role conflict, not personal conflict. And, and okay. that is really a difference. Uh, so tension is fuel. That, that's the central tenet. Tension is fuel. Conflicts are, role conflicts are actually good because it provides more fuel, <laughs> more fuel into the machine. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and it's, Dif- difficult to get your head around, but let, let me give you an example from my work career. Uh, my last corporate employer where I was, actually, I, I had a, a, a big conflict with, uh, with one of my uh, staff. And that's actually the reason, one of the reasons why I left. Now, the strange thing is that uh, um, before I was promoted as a manager, we could work very well together. Uh, we, we went into the pub together. We had, we had a, a kind of a friendship. And then I was promoted to her manager, and then we got into a conflict. And then afterwards, after I left the company, actually we met again, and again we were friends. So it turned out not to be a personal <laughs> conflict, it turned out to be a role conflict. And um, mm. actually uh, that, that informed me that uh, a lot of conflicts that arise in companies actually uh, are not handled well as role conflicts. So if you, if you take the role component out of it, I think that a lot of personal, a lot of pers- conflicts are actually not personal, but they're role conflicts. Mm. That's so encouraging. And listeners and viewers, isn't that encouraging to give you that the notion, this is not about you can't stand somebody's personality or whatever. It's about yeah. the role and how it conflicts with yours. I, th- I think that really opens something. One, it opens a way to address it because it removes the notion that it's personal. That's incredible. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that uh, Holacracy makes you conscious about, uh, the difference between personal and role, or role and soul, as, as we call it. Uh, and, and, and that difference makes you yeah, very conscious about it. So sometimes you are aware that you're speaking from a role, that you're acting from a role. Uh, and some, mm-hmm. and most, but of course, most of the time you will be speaking as a person. But actually, in practice, you also differentiate. Like, for instance, I would say to you, like, yeah, uh, we're just having a, a, a talk, and then I switch modes, and then I say, well, listen, uh, from this role, I'd like to ask you to take on this project. So it's clear to you in the conversation, you know, why I'm asking you to take on this project. It's not like, you know, I, I don't respect your time or something like that. It's just like, you know, I have this responsibility and I need you to do something uh, from responsibility, from my role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's give our, our listeners and viewers uh, really uh, some even greater walkaways here. Uh, mm-hmm. And I want to talk about the four steps of implementing holacracy. Um, and, and so if you would, take us through just those four steps you describe in the book. I think it's really useful. And I think people would be surprised that there is a fair amount of simplicity to this, certainly in, in, in understanding it from the outset. So the four steps, Marco? Yeah. So it's uh, actually you start with describing and assigning 
initial roles. So when I come in in, in a, at a team or a company, we, we just map everything. And, and then we start up the first governance meetings. Uh, that's the second step. So we actually uh, start working with the roles and modifying them. Um, and then we start up uh, technical meetings. That's the third step, I would say. And, um, and, then we, and then we start activating all of that. And then um, there are practices for that. Um, so, um, so that's one way to implement it. Um, actually, also, I used to start with signing even a constitution before we started, um, because that actually also frames very much uh, the power shift that holocracy does. So uh, it is very uh, signing a constitution. There is a, there's a whole playbook around it. Signing a constitution makes it very explicit that um, the former power holders actually are not the the power holders anymore. They 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 give their power to a set of rules. And that is actually, um, fun, yeah, conceptually very, very important part of holocracy, that uh, it's rule-based. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I found really interesting, and it just really made so much sense to me, Marco, is that you also start by taking into consideration a list of tasks or activities that each person does and clustering them into a role. That made so much sense so that, so that, imagine this listeners, imagine that if you did that, let's say you have five people on your team and you were to make a list of all the activities that they do, you might actually find that, um, you know, so this person does all this, forget what who's doing it, but make a list of all the activities that, that need to be done to fulfill the purpose of this circle. And you might start to realize that maybe Sally over here normally does this activity, but really it's better suited over this, over this, this role. And I, I really find that notion of of mixing and marrying different tasks under roles instead of that 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 rigid definition of function, as you were saying before, incredibly useful and relevant for today. Yeah, uh, yeah, actually, and and it's really about um, making sure that that the role really represents the current work that is being done and and does it matter actually um, you know what person that is it's really organizing around the work and when a person like yes. does, a, does something like that they, they list a lot of tasks and I explicitly ask them to uh, not not to not to group it by person but just by by role or by by group of uh, work, and and then you can start to see the patterns that arise. Mm -hmm. And even imagine this, listeners, to the point, and this is the great example that Marco and his co-author bring home in the book. A very key person on this team that he's describing, I think it's Suzanne, ends up leaving pretty pretty deep into yeah. the project just before the deadline, and they absorb all of her all of her tasks and activities into their respective roles and pull this thing off. Not. Anyway, successfully, let's just leave it at that. And if that doesn't sound like music to your ears, I don't know what does. So with that, let's leave you hanging on the edge and go with our, our last break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Marco Bogers. He's the co-author of Getting Started with Holacracy, Upgrading Your Team's Productivity. We've been talking a bit about how to implement it. After the break, we're going to learn what, that, what it takes is to actually unlearn what you think you actually know. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I mentioned in the the first break about the Grab Your Gusto Wellbeing podcast learning series. That content is program adapted from part one of my recently published book called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion in a Light Cause, which is now available on Amazon. And I wrote that book to awaken readers to their passion and purpose and help transform them into inspirational leaders who enliven the workplace and elevate the contribution to business for all stakeholders. So that's where the, the content comes from. If you're just joining us, my guest is from Amsterdam today, Marco Bogers, an author, coach, trainer, and organizational consultant. Originally a business law graduate, his career has spanned sales, marketing, productivity training, organizational and purpose coaching. What has helped him to to these transformations is to see tensions as fuel, as life handed him material for his writing. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for this last bit here, I really wanted to talk about this notion that that you really uh, mentioned over and over again in the book, Marco, and this notion of having to unlearn what we've been relying on for years to to do work in teams, which I think is incredibly useful to be able to open into a new space. And so before we get into that, which is going to smack right into the middle of this, and we sort of mentioned it earlier, mm-hmm. from your experience and what you know about this, how do traditional command control management oriented people react to holacracy when they hear, first hear about it and think they want to try it on? Yeah, it, it depends of of the person. Um, I, I felt that it it doesn't it doesn't work to actually sell the concept to people uh, as a as to try to convince them. What I feel is that the persons who are attracted to this way of organizing are people who actually have experienced the downsides of being what I call a decision bottleneck in a hierarchy in a management hierarchy. So people who who know like me that that um, you know in the end it, it doesn't work it doesn't empower people it doesn't grow your organization to to, to take all the decisions. Um, further, that I would say, um, if you're on a personal development path, uh, like if you've gone through some life challenges, if you believe in the power of purpose, then I think if you experience the limits of your ego then I think you will really appreciate Holacracy. Mm. That was a great opening, Marco. And if that's not enticing listeners, oh gosh, <laughs> I've le- learned so much by, by reading this book and do actually uh, plan to inculcate it into, into my team as well. So you've already inspired me, Marco. Oh, so yeah. thank you. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, you're welcome. Absolutely. Thank you. Glad I found you. 
Um, so one of the things that you also say, which I think is quite interesting, you say the more you can let go of the belief that you must have a solution for every tension, the better you can be a sensor for your roles and the organization. Can you say more about that? Um, yeah. Um, it's really about going into this space of um, not knowing. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I have a tension doesn't mean that you know how to solve it. It actually means that you um, you, you you try to um, yeah you try to deal with it in a way and just start with the first step. Like if somebody brings in attention in a technical meeting, for instance, or if I bring attention in a technical meeting, I often don't know what's the answer, but I trust the system. And um, and it's like yeah I'm I'm taking sometimes I'm taking a first step so um, and strangely enough or actually not strangely enough there's always coming some kind of solution where I didn't expect it sometimes the solution can be that somebody just takes uh, an action sometimes the solution can be that it's a governance issue like uh, the tension has to do with that a role is not clearly defined. Uh, sometimes I just need to speak out and, and, and be heard. That can also be uh, one way to solve the tension. So uh, what I really like about this is that it really induces you to trust the process and, and, and trusting that if you speak out and if you name your tensions and if you, if you dare to bring them, uh, somehow a solution will appear and it does. Hmm. So what I take from the, the unlearning on that is that we have to unlearn that we don't have to have all the answers, that we don't have to come with the solution and the answers. Rather, we come with being able to articulate the tension that we're, that we're experiencing and, and put it out there to, in a way to allow others to help us. Exactly, exactly. I mean, one example is also there's, there's, there's the process of governance meeting works around uh, having objections, having uh, integrating objections. And sometimes people don't know what they want to propose as, as a proposal. And then one practice is I, I promote is that, okay, just, just ask people for objections. <laughs> so I don't know what to say. So ask just come with objections and, and in a normal setting that's a very frightening thing to do because you ask people to disapprove of what you are proposing but here we turn it around we ask people to come up with some good objections so we can integrate them mm, that is just so refreshing on every level marco every level um and then along Thanks. that line you're welcome. One of the other things that I also found extremely fascinating about Holacracy is that it doesn't solve every problem. Rather, it just surfaces problems that were already there so that you can deal with them. So it's not yeah. a golden bullet, but it's an important process. It's important to process the friction, you say. So in other words, it's, a, it's an illuminating tool. It's an illumination tool. Yeah, it, it's a way of making people more conscious. Uh, some people uh, refer to it, you know, more in the spiritual realm. Some people refer to it as uh, mindfulness within companies, but it's, it depends how you look at it. Uh, I see it as a... Uh, as a way of having a, an early response system, an, an early warning system. So uh, because it's so radical, transparent, it's very hard to stay in sleep or, or denial mode. 
I mean, uh, uh, you can do it. So, so um, another another uh, expression for that is there is uh, there is only one mis- uh, wrong way to process attention, and that is not to process it. So what you just said there and this notion of consciousness, Marco, now I know exactly why I was so drawn and attracted to you because in your work, because um, I am very much on a path where I am out to elevate my own consciousness and help raise that in everyone that I work with and across the world. And now I realize why I'm so attracted to this concept, because it's about raising consciousness. You just brought it home for me. Thank you for that. Mm. That's like the nice, pretty bow on the package that you've already given me mm. as a gift. So thank you for that. That just gives me so oh, much more. Pleasure. Yes. Um, okay. And now I want to get into this notion here. Uh, and f- this is a little bit advanced for this conversation, but listeners and viewers, bear with us. Um, there's this notion, this concept within the holacracy concept of a lead link. Um, and so that person is, and, and Marco can clarify their role, but the lead link is constantly striving to make herself redundant by enabling the circle to work autonomously from their roles. That sounds amazing to me. And it's more of a process of unlearning than of learning, especially when it comes to a manager's tendency to take care of her people and to motivate and manage those who are now self-managing. So the lead link therefore plays a key role, for better or for worse, in the transformation from conventional to distributed leadership. Hmm. Yeah. So, so normally the former manager moves into the lead link role. That's that's uh, and that is actually a crucial process. And um, and actually one of the other ways that holacracy, well, uh, purposes of holacracy is to break the parent-child dynamic that you see at play in most organizations. Uh, you know, as a manager, uh, you, 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 you are conditioned as a human. You know, the first organization that you were ever in was your family. And there you come into the child-parent dynamic and you take that into the corporate life. Unconsciously, of course. <laughs> Everybody does. So, um, you see that at play at employees like asking the manager, oh, can you give me permission to do this? Can you give me permission to do that? In holacracy, actually, uh, that's not a good practice. As a, as a lead link, you have to learn to say, uh, well, uh, I don't, I, uh, you, you can decide by yourself. You know, you don't need my permission to do anything. So what do you think you should do from your role? Which role is feeling your tension? So you help them, you coach them to make their own decisions. And that's a big, that's a big change, especially uh, from both sides, uh, from employees and managers. Mm, what I love about that, what allures me about that is that it's empowering. And again, it removes the mother may I, or father may I sort of whole idea that you were describing exactly. before. And I, I think that's incredible. And, and so what I know, too, about employee motivation, doing employee engagement work and doing purpose work is that when, when people feel competent and empowered and um, responsible for and trusted to make decisions, their, their motivation and their, their commitment increases. So this makes complete sense why this worked so well to me. Yeah, it, it speaks to, uh, you know, autonomy, mastery, those are the things uh, yeah, that, uh, that are very important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then another thing that we have to talk about here that surfaced in the reading of your book uh, that is so timely in the, a, whole, a year plus of the corona 19, uh, uh, coronavirus pandemic is this notion that 
When you look at this from the outside, if you're just beginning to start to unpeel holacracy, it appears to be so impersonal. But in reality, it creates more space for personal connection, not less. Would you share more about your perspective on that? You and I had a short exchange about that via email, but would you share more about your perspective on that? Why is that so? Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, that's, that's one of the paradoxes. So uh, it, it, uh, roles are not personal. So uh, circles are not personal. So um, first, holacracy enables you to differentiate work into roles. And that's an impersonal process. But after that, it starts to integrate the purpose and the personal. So it actually moves you from, from a duality, like personal versus uh, not personal, which, which are two things, into what I would call a polarity. You start to navigate these two, and actually you integrate them into yourself. Mm. That is powerful. And, 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 uh, and actually, I think that is where um, the personal um, development side of it comes into play. Like, you know, um, I would say stage one is if you ask the question, who am I? That people, you know, used to say, I am a consultant or I am a trainer. Now, the question, who am I, uh, is you're not your roles. <laughs> Because you, you, you fulfill roles. So, so that's not that's just one of part of the question. So it becomes important to answer the question. So not only who am I, so what is my purpose? Why am I serving these roles? And why am I serving this organization? So that now becomes much more at the forefront. And because you've done the work of differentiate, differentiating the role, there becomes space for your personal development and your purpose, where normally that's all uh, mashed up in organization. You know, you don't see that because it's too, it's too vague, actually. Mm. Okay, and now we, we get to where we, we, we promised this at the beginning, that, that holacracy does allow and enable personal development and, and, and an opportunity to reach and, and express purpose. Now you've just brought it home for us. And so say a little bit more, if you would, just maybe another few sentences about how people can better, why this creates a space for them to be able to personally develop when uh, and otherwise in a more traditional space they couldn't maybe. I yeah, because um, the fact that people are actually end decision makers in their roles um, uh, makes that they should become better in decision making and know why they are doing the things that they're doing. Now, the mechanism of purpose, as I don't need to explain to you, is actually the best way of, of having, uh, of making decisions in that, of, 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 um, of knowing why you do things. Uh, and that's why I'm now working, you know, when I'm now implementing Holacracy, actually I, I try to also start with purpose. I start to do, you know, get people on the purpose train even before they, they start to work with Holacracy sometimes. Because I think that's very important, that if people really choose why they work for an organization from their personal motivation, personal purpose, they will be much more uh, better of making decisions in any roles that they can. And they will be able also to choose the roles that fit them. They just know, just not accept any role that, that they should be doing, but they, they choose the organization, they choose the role really consciously. 
Oh, that sounds good to me. Oh, Marco, what if what? A, I'm so glad I asked that question. Now, here we are already at the end of the show already. We just have just a little bit of time left. And you know the show is listening to people across the globe who want to be able to help create workplaces where people thrive, where inspirational leaders help bring out their best, and business is done for its highest cause. What would you like to leave our listeners with today? Yeah. I, I had a bit of thought about that. And, um, uh, yeah, and considering the times that we are living in, actually, um, I think... You know, I, I am extremely challenged by the current situation, also with COVID, and um, and I I think uh, as a species now we're we're on a crossroads. We have tremendous power, and and I think organizations should use that force uh, and become a force to use that power wisely. So I think we have the responsibility to make that happen. In other words, really think about how we can make our organizations better ancestors. I love the idea of being a better ancestor. In Holland, we used to be very, very proud of our corporate ancestors. We created actually the first multinational in the world. We created the first stock exchange in the world. And now we see that our wealth from the 17th century was partly built on inhuman slave trade. And I would say, let us, let us not make that same mistake again. Mm, what a beautiful way to finish, Marco. I'm so glad I found you. I'm so happy to share with my listeners across the globe. Thank you for being such a beautiful soul and helping us elevate our consciousness with holacracy. Great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. I loved it. Loved it. I'm so glad. Listeners, viewers, if you want to learn more about Marco Boger's Holacracy or his book on Holacracy, start by visiting his website, which is workinflow.nl. And thanks again for our partner and sponsor, WorkProud, which helps companies build a platform where your workforce receives meaningful feedback and thanks for their work from people across your company. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can catch it via recorded podcast. We're on there with Dr. Claudia Beanie, founder of the House of Shine, talking about this incredible nonprofit and curriculum that helps people from ages five to 95 discover what makes them shine. Next week, we'll be on the air with Gabriel Kekscan of Golden Eagle Executive Coaching and Alive on Purpose Coaching, talking about how he works specifically with men to help them discover and live their purpose. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.